This is a Color Pencil Podcast, session number 93. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts, Lisa Clow and John Middick. My name is John Middick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lisa Clow of Lockery Fine Art. Lisa, how are you? I am great. How are you? I am never better. (laughs) So this is the show where we discuss colored pencil. We discuss the art and the artist. Lisa, what are we talking about today? We are talking about preparing for your workshop or classes if you are teaching them. Back in show 27, we did a show called, I think it was called... Uh, are you ready to start teaching? And so we wanted to kind of come full circle and talk about after you decide you're ready, then what do you do? How to prepare for that very thing? And so securing a venue, we're going to talk about payments, a date and time, subject matter, and writing up your step-by-step and all of that stuff and follow-up. So Lisa, what are some of the first things that we should concern ourselves with? Well, you've got to find a place to teach and you've got several options. Sometimes your local city, if you contact them, they may have a building that they have set up just for this sort of thing, a community center or something like that you may be able to teach out of. When I started teaching, I was teaching out of the classroom at Michael's back when they had fine art classes now or well, not now, but then after that, because Michael stopped offering those classes, I started teaching at Hobby Lobby and with them, they just let me use the classroom and ideally students would buy their supplies from Hobby Lobby. So that's where they made their money, which was a great situation. Now, those were just ongoing classes. For me, that wasn't a workshop. When we did the workshop, we I did one with Wendy Lane last year and we found a location. You have to have a room that's obviously big enough to hold as many students as you're going to need to fit. The workshop or the classes that I was teaching at Hobby Lobby, there is no way we could fit more than about 10 students in there at a time. So if you're teaching a bigger class, you need to consider that. You need room for the students to be comfortable and room for you to move around because you may look at one of those classes when they're empty and think, oh, there's plenty of space in here. I, you know, easily can fit 20 people in here. But once you get everyone with their supplies and their easels and everything else, Mm -hmm. their bottle of water, whatever they're going to bring to make themselves comfortable, you're probably not going to fit as many as you probably think you are. So you need to check with that venue how many would actually comfortably fit. Don't just eyeball it yourself because it's really easy to think more will fit than what will. Yeah, very good points. And also, as far as the venue is concerned, you're right. You can find some type of room often in a location close to you and you don't necessarily have to do this at an art store. You could even go to a hotel nearby. Sometimes they'll have conference rooms that you could uh, adopt for that. There's other types of of areas that that may have like a a rec center that has some rooms available. So there's a lot of options out there for that kind of thing. And you want to consider what you're doing as far as the supplies go. If you're bringing the supplies for the students, then going to a different location that's not an art supply store is very, very easy. But if you're not supplying that for them, if you give them a supply list and have them go pick them up, more often than not, they will either get the wrong items because that doesn't always make sense when they look at the list. 
list. And it's yeah. not, you know, that they're not paying attention. It's that it's hard to describe sometimes what exactly you're going for. Now, I will say it's a little bit easier with colored pencil than it is like painting. Um, mm-hmm. I saw more mistakes as far as people getting stuff off my list with painting. But when I was teaching at an art supply store, that was never a big deal because we just went out on the floor and they were able to purchase what they were missing from there. So early on, I mean, months in advance, I think one of the first things that you'll want to do when you're preparing for your workshop is you need to just make a list and write this down. I keep one in Google Docs and I just have my list and I'm going to put everything I can possibly think of that I need to be concerned with to prepare for what I'm about to do. So the subject matter that I'm going to teach it, whether it's a beginner's workshop, an introduction to colored pencil, or like I did recently, I taught a portrait workshop in colored pencil. And so you need to write down everything that you're going to require for your materials for your students, but you need to also have a list of everything that you need to have prepared and ready for the workshop. And I recommend doing this several months in advance if you can, because the more prepared you are, the more at ease you're going to feel, the more comfortable and confident you're going to be. And you're going to just be able to present and be very organized presenting and you'll come across more effectively and the class will run much smoother when you do that. And that's a big deal, like a really big deal, being confident, knowing that you're prepared, because when you seem frazzled, you forgot something. Students take that as, I don't know if I'm going to really listen to this person. This person doesn't. I don't know that they know what they're talking about, even if you do. And I've seen that before. I watch the look on people's face. Now, remember, I've been teaching for, or well, I started teaching about 17 years ago. So I've seen this a lot. There was days where I got to work late. I got caught in traffic. I forgot something where you're just kind of running around all over. You watch the look on students' faces where they're Mm -hmm. looking at you like you have got to be kidding me right now. If you're not confident in everything, the student is not going to be confident in what you're teaching and it affects their their learning ability because they don't really trust that you know what you're doing. So as simple as that may seem, being prepared, it makes a very, very big difference. You have to be confident in order for them to trust you. Yeah, it really does. Walk in there, smile, good first impressions, square your shoulders up, you know, just be confident, exude enthusiasm and excitement about the medium and talk to them about, hey, you're pioneers here in this medium. This is a newer medium and this is exciting. That goes a long way. All right. So the next thing I think is that once you decide on this big, long list of everything that you need to get, make it a checklist, make sure that you have everything, you know, that you think you might need and then prioritize it. Start deciding what needs to come first, second and third, because it's going to be different preparation four weeks out than it will be the night before. And if you're not prepared and you wait till the last night to start printing everything, you might be up till 2 a.m. You're like, oh, I should have done this a week ago. So if you prepare ahead of time with that, that's the reason why I'm harping on that is because I've done this the wrong way enough times to to be able to talk about it. Then you're going to be a lot better off. So one of the things that you want to think about early on then is, like we said, securing the venue. But then that location, like Lisa, I think you already alluded to this. If you're allowing for, if you're teaching in an arts uh, location, an art store, then yeah, the 
the products and the supplies are going to be available there if they forgot theirs. But I would recommend taking enough supplies and products with you so that you can loan these out or give them to a student who is ill-prepared. That way, you're not going to slow anything up. You're not going to, you know, cause some other barrier for someone else because you're worried about someone not having what they need to be able to be successful. And you can just give them the paper or give them the, the extra pencil or whatever it is or the sharpener or whatever. And, you know, that's easy to do. Not everything, obviously, but... I used to do that with a few things, but obviously it's not going to be practical to do that with with everything. You're not going to have full sets of all the pencils unless you're supplying all of the pencils. That was one thing I really liked with the workshop I did with Wendy. She had kits made for everybody, so everything they needed, we provided. Now, if you are having them bring their own supplies, make sure they get that supply list very, very early on, When especially if Mm -hmm. it's a workshop that they're going to be taking, you know, an eight-hour workshop or whatever it is. Make sure they get that supply list early on because if you're having them get things like polychromos, that's not something they're going to be able to pick up at a store. So they need time to order it and have backup plans. Like if they if certain colors are out of stock, which color would be an ideal alternative? So make sure they've got that, that they've got that early enough to order and way early because most people are going to wait till the last minute to order their stuff anyway. So, but still make sure that you're providing them that information as early as possible. Yeah. And if it is something that you are managing and you are preparing and having direct contact with the participants, with the attendees, the students in your workshop, then having them on that email list and reminding them, okay, now is when you need to get your supplies and leading them up to that point where the workshop begins is so much, you know, that's that's a lot better in a lot of lot of ways because you can, like you said, you, you can tell them, okay, you've got to get your supplies by this date or you got to order them if you can't get polychromos in the store or whatever the supplies are. So I think this brings us to another topic here under this umbrella of preparing, and that is talking about your payments and what kind of payment method are you going to take? Now, if it's handled through the store, the recent one that I did was all handled through the store. They paid at the store for the workshop in advance, so I didn't have to worry about any of that. They they just give me a check for doing the workshop, and you know, and you work that out with the store manager or whoever is handling that part of it. But if you're doing it yourself, I think like you and Wendy did, Lisa, then you have some other options. They could pay you through your website. You could take electronic payments or do something or cash or whatever. You can decide on those things, and you need to make that decision very early on as well. Do you want to go ahead and talk about that. Yeah, and you want to make sure you know, or the students are going to know when that payment is due. So like, let's use the workshop with Wendy and I. We had a limited number of students that could attend and we had sold out. So everyone needed to pay in advance so that we didn't find out day of someone wasn't showing up, someone wasn't going to pay. So we had to have a date, a deadline of when that that payment was due. And if they didn't make that deadline, then we could fill that spot with somebody else who was going to actually pay. Because you'll have people who get excited about it and want to take the workshop. And it's not that they're lying to you saying they're going to take it when they're really not. Stuff comes up. It happens with all of us. Right. And But if they've already paid, they're going to be more likely to make sure they save that date. Or you will keep, you do a non-refundable deposit so that you actually, you know, even if you don't fill that space, you still get paid for holding it for them. Did you guys have a wait list? Um, yes, we did. We had a couple, I believe, on the wait list. Okay. At the end, we had a, a, I believe there were a couple, yeah. but we ended up with exactly 25 in the class, if I remember correctly. 
So that is one option. In any case, well, if you're doing something like that where you've got a limited number of students, you don't want to take the payment the day of. Now, when I taught my ongoing class, those ones were different. Those ones people paid me day of and they did not, I didn't take electronic, I didn't take uh, check or anything like that because they were paying me directly. If someone's check bounced, I really had no means to take care of that and I'm really bad about losing checks. So that's a whole other personal issue. But um, I only accepted cash because if I had to take the time to run through, because I had gotten a square card reader, I thought, oh, okay, I'll take payment this way. It'll make it easy for people. No, it takes time. It takes away from your class time. When people show up and need to pay, I can't teach if I'm taking payments. If someone just hands me a 20, fine, no problem. If I have to sit and make change. Um, so when I used to charge 15, that was a bit more of a problem trying to get change for everybody. But it that yeah. cuts into class time. So if you're doing a workshop, make sure it's paid in advance. If you're doing an ongoing class like I was and having people pay at the time of the class, then I would cash only was so, so much easier for me to keep track of and not eat into actual class time. Or you can have them pay through PayPal, and that works really well because it's so seamless, you don't even hardly think yeah. about it. Yeah, now keep in mind, if you're going to take payments that way too, you may want to raise your prices a bit. So let's say I was charging $20 for a class. PayPal takes that fee. I need to ta- to consider that in my my class price. Do I then need to charge more to make up that difference? Yeah, it's a very minimal amount though. But yeah, that's right. You got to think about that. Uh, Okay, so a workshop is typically a one-time only, or it could be a several time, uh, you know, a several dates in a row or within weeks or something like that, or like the one you guys did, you did two or three days in a weekend or something. It can be sort of an ongoing for a short period of time or a one-time, whereas the open classes can be just a standing class where someone can come in and you know you're going to be there on Saturdays from whatever you know 10 to 1 or something and uh, or a shorter amount of time even maybe two hours or one hour yeah I used to do two hours and they just pay as they come pay as they go that kind of thing yeah and you can charge a lot less for that they can they don't feel like that they're behind if they come in late or if they skip several weeks and there's a lot of pros to doing it that way, I think. And you can build up a following too, right, Lisa? I think that's another big plus with that. Yeah, that's. it takes a little bit of time to get that ongoing following or the, the following for an ongoing mm-hmm. class. But like you said, it's nice because if they miss a class, they don't fall behind. It, it really, there were a lot right. of benefits to doing that. And I was able, because of the way that I taught that, I could teach several mediums at the same time. So that always worked out really well for me. I think that was good clarification there too. I think that that's, that's needed. So make that decision ahead of time what you want to do and i would recommend trying trying both and seeing which one you like the best it may be that you're you don't care for all this prep that goes into doing a one-time show kind of thing and then you just have to keep repeating that and hopefully get some repeat students but also attracting a new crowd as well maybe you'd like to do just an open uh, drop-in class ongoing kind of thing so weigh that out and and see, but I would recommend trying both of those if you're not sure yet. So a few of the documents that I prepared and was trying to go by whenever I was preparing for my recent portrait workshop in colored pencil is I had a, what I called teacher's list. That was just my list of everything that I needed, you know, including my water bottle and gum and materials for the class and then uh, tools some of the things that I, you know, took there to show off colored pencil a little bit, post-it notes and how to block out areas, you know, and poster tags, sponges, cotton swabs, cotton balls, tea strainers, colored pencils, of course, paper, ruler, needed eraser, plastic vinyl erasers, scotch tape, 
you know, I could go on and on. But um, some of the magazines. I thought you were actually going to do that. I was getting yeah, ready to go I take am. a tea I'm break. Yeah, go take a tea, <laughs> tea break. Be right back. <laughs> okay, just don't go to sleep on me. And then examples of your work, you know, have those ready. So this is this is my list. This is everything that I had. A light, I didn't have to do that because of lights that were already there. But some magazines to show off colored pencil, I think, is a big deal. And I took Reggie along with me. His real name is Reginald, but I can call him Reggie. But it's just a, a mannequin and uh, can show off, you know, kind of how light is reflected back onto a face, onto skin. And so it works the same way with the mannequin. Anyway, so that that is the teacher's list. Okay, let me walk through then very quickly the step-by-step instructions. And I'm not going to read all this because it's like five pages. But this is very detailed, and I just have an intro, and I talk about who I am, why I do this, and then I talk about the properties of colored pencil and what kind of acceptance colored pencil artwork has had over the years. Talk about the CPSA a little bit. I talk about key terms, what portraiture is, and then I go through the step-by-step Step one, step two, step three of what we're going to do in creating these uh, this portrait today, that kind of thing. Okay, materials list. I think I already went through that slightly, though. But then my last document is the timeline. And so I have, you know, we're starting at 10 o'clock. And so at 10 o'clock, we're going to do, you know, talk about have you really ever drawn with colored pencils? 10.30, the fundamentals of portrait drawing. 11 o'clock, you know, you just go through the timeline. And make sure, sort of like a syllabus in a college class, let everybody know kind of what to expect and how we're going to approach the class today, that kind of thing. And I think it puts everyone at ease. They have all these reference materials and they can walk away with something tangible in their hands that they can refer to and really work on a lot more at home. Because, I mean, let's face it, they're not going to complete a portrait in one sitting, you know, at a workshop that is only four hours long. Now, if it's a weekend and you're doing four hours, six hours a day or something like that, I guess that's possible, you know, but you got to you got to think about those kind of things. And that all has to do with your uh, preparation beforehand, deciding, you know, how long it's going to be when you determine what date you're going to do this, decide how long the workshop is going to be. Did you guys actually have people complete the uh, portraits or the pets you were working on? No, no. None of them were intended to be completed. We both Mm -hmm. had videos of the project. So we basically got them started learning the important factors, how to paint, draw hair, how to layer, how we blend with, like in my case, with odorless mineral spirits or how Wendy blended. And they were able to take that information home and then complete them there. Makes a lot of sense. Now, one thing I want to bring up, too, you were talking about when you did your intro, a little bit about why you do. Watch the tone that you set for your class. And I wouldn't have even thought of this had I not seen one of the teachers. When I was teaching at Michael's, I was also running their classroom or their class coordinator. They changed the name every few minutes, so I could never keep up to date yeah. with what my title was. But one of the ladies who was teaching there, she was a watercolor artist. And people, I would watch them come into her class. They were all excited. Uh, there was one day especially that was absolutely terrible. A lady and her teenage son show up. And I think there were a couple other students there. They're super excited for their first day of watercolor and her way of introducing the class was to tell you how she got started in in watercolor. And her way, it was kind of an art therapy thing because of a horrible incident that had happened to her where someone broke into her house, bad things happened. It was very depressing. Now, here's the thing. I feel for her that this happened. That's 
absolutely terrible. However, the classroom, that's not what people are there for. This is not your counseling thing. Even though, yes, that's why you paint, I think telling the story in as much detail as she did, the students, the tone of the class would drop. No one had fun. It killed it because now everyone's looking at her yeah. feeling sorry for her. And it's like, no, right. this is not what people are here for. Yes, this happened. Yes, it's terrible that this happened to you. This is why you started. Hey, this is sad. Yeah. We even have to Don't, bring this, this up. This is not. She <laughs> but, was almost using it, I felt, as her own personal counseling session. Like, I need to get this yeah. off my chest. And it's like, this isn't the place for that. There are other places that will help you. Good. Your students are not the ones to yeah. do that. So you want to make sure, yeah. watch the tone of the class that you're not overdoing that oh, don't overshare. There's yeah. certain things that are not appropriate. Right, exactly. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, you got to think about what you would appreciate, what you like. And I think about that when I'm approaching the, the workshop. And when I went to this recent workshop, I thought about the fact that I want I want to go there and have a good time and laugh and uh, get to know people a little bit and draw and learn in a fun and creative environment. And I had candy there and I, you know, and I talked about some of the, the dorky things that I've done in the past that are slightly embarrassing. And it just kind of yeah. loosens up the crowd and lets them know you're a real person and that kind of thing and you know you you want to be relatable and you you don't want it all to be all stiff exactly. I, I think excellent point lisa yeah you want you want it to be something that is conducive to a fun environment because at the end of the workshop you want them to all say and this is what happened uh, my recent one and i was so excited about it they said when are you doing this again? Can we come back? Can we do this again? Can you have us all back and we can do this all again? Let's share email addresses. And, and so that's what we did. And we decided to uh, you know, continue this and have an open workshop that we're going to do for the next few weeks. So that, that's exciting when that kind of thing happens. And that's what you want. You want it to be fun. <laughs> I guess you don't want to. You don't want to talk about all the traumatic things that happened to you in life and um, have everyone crying. Exactly, and I think like in her case, she could have said, "I had a traumatic experience and I used it as therapy and left it at that." That I think would have yeah. been very appropriate yeah. a way to share why she got into art if she wanted to say why. But she went into so much detail that you're just going. Wow, that's um, okay. That's awkward for everybody, especially the teenage boy that was in the class. I think it it was. Oh, yeah, uh, I don't uh, think his mom was wow. pleased, but so, yeah. Yeah. All right. So one of the other things I think is really helpful is if you're doing something that like a like a portrait. I'll, I'll just frame it like that. That's easier for me to talk about. But if you're doing a portrait workshop, then if you can take some of your works in progress and they're not just seeing the end result the whole time, that's very helpful, uh, especially if uh, you're going to be. You know, going through things incrementally and talking about these incremental steps, but you're not able to do everything in one in one fell swoop right there, for instance, doing a four-hour workshop versus several days or something. And doing a video is a very good idea, having video segments where you can show them exactly what you're talking about. Having the students come up and hover around you for a moment, if, if it's a small enough group, they can watch what you're doing. Also, putting screenshots, taking screenshots or pictures in progress and putting those in your step-by-step -step is very helpful as well. So it's just not this big old block of text everywhere that they're not going to be reading. So I've got a few tips for you to keep in mind when you are setting up your class. First, 
Is food going to be allowed in that venue? You need to find out from whoever you're having the venue because people like to bring snacks, pretzels, whatever. If they do allow food, maybe make a list of the type of food that is allowed because I've had students bring in and out, which while tasty and smells amazing, also greasy and can ruin the paper. So make sure, you know, let people don't necessarily think about that when they're signing up for a class. So let them know about that. If Think about what you've eaten that day. Think about the fact that your breath may be terrible and that you need to bring some mints with you. I, and you think, you don't necessarily realize. So I shouldn't have had that peanut butter well, and coffee. I think it's okay if you bring the mints. And I always joke because there were a oh. few times where I forgot and oh, I just let people know, okay, I'm not getting close to you because I had onion earlier and I forgot to bring some mints. So I think... It makes it easier for people to not feel so awkward when you point out that you know yeah. you you have bad breath. But, you know, these are things to definitely be aware of. Deodorant. I like to keep an extra one with me. <laughs> Again, you don't think about that, but you're going to get close to these this students. This is hilarious. These, these things I are important. This. You're going to be bending over the students yeah. and reaching over, and you're going to get kind of close. So skip the hummus for breakfast, huh? <laughs> Well, what was bad, too, right. that workshop I did with Wendy Lane the day, first day, I, it wasn't my normal kit of teaching stuff I brought with me, so I didn't have my deodorant, and I forgot to put it on that morning. And we had to call our husband, who was luckily at the store, and have him pick me up some, because I was like, oh, God, this could... And it was in the middle of the summer in Texas. Wow. Could have ended terribly. What? Yeah, I was so embarrassed. But I would have been more embarrassed if students started smelling me, so I would much rather ask someone to go pick that up for me. Yeah. So, um, next... And now we get to talk about it on the podcast and make fun of you forevermore. Uh, but I mean, right. that's something. Just cool. be conscious of that, that you might not smell so great. And the yeah. Things remember you can do your, make yourself smell a little better. Remember your deodorant. And remember yeah. to brush and your And I teeth. like to that's keep deodorant right. in. Normally, my art kit that I bring with me would always have a small little travel size deodorant just in case. The next thing would be, because there are so many classes out right now, and this wasn't a problem when I first started teaching, but as more of these paint while you drink classes started popping up, I started having oh, students yeah. wanting to bring alcohol with them to class. That's not appropriate in my classes because that's not the type of class that I teach. And it's not necessarily allowed. I mean, that may not be legal depending on what their licenses are and the state or city and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Most of these art stores, especially if you're doing realism, I don't think they're going to have a liquor license. No. And, but I had people, I did have students who showed up and I could smell the alcohol in their drink. And it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to say something, but (laughs) I did why am I having yeah, trouble? I did have realism. many students ask if they could bring wine, and it's like, no, that's not what this class is. So you may need to make sure that people know again, have that list of what is and is not acceptable in the class. The next thing I always told students is, this isn't a race, this isn't a competition. Don't worry, you're going right. to have the student next to you may be faster, the one on the other side may be slower than you. It does not indicate how good or bad you're going to be at this. But I would let students know, okay, if you're hyper focused on an area that's no longer important, I'll let you know if you need to move on. So just be aware. I may come by and say, okay, that part's done. Let's let's move ahead. But I'd let them know, you know, don't feel like you're not good because somebody else is faster. The next thing that I would do is when going around and helping students individually, I would always ask them if it was okay for me to actually work on their project. And the thing is, yeah, yeah, it's necessary. I'm going to need to in order to show them things. But if you walk up and grab their pencil or their paintbrush, it might freak them out. So I always just acid. Is it okay for me to go ahead and work on this? Some students are very yeah. protective, too, of their work, and they think this is something really precious, and they don't want yeah. you to touch it. And I also would always let them know right when we started what to expect. Like, if it was an oil painting class, I would say, just so you know, what you leave with today is going to be ugly. 
Don't feel like, I mean, just because of the way that I layer and the way that we glaze. Like, don't feel like you're not doing a good job. I'll let you know if it doesn't look right. But this, what you leave with today won't be pretty. That's okay. It will be the next time. Because what I started happening was students would take that first class. They'd leave with something that was just not so attractive. And they'd think, okay, I'm terrible at this. And they'd give up. Let them know it's not going to be pretty in the beginning stages. That ugly stages are normal. That's a part of the process. Like John was talking about earlier. If you can show them some of your in-between stages, I think that's really helpful. Yeah. You know, one thing I wanted to mention here, uh, since we brought this up, is if you have a lot of things that you want to say, you got you want to lecture, you know, you want to start talking about everything get them started drawing though first get them doing something and then they can listen while they're drawing and they can listen to you talk about how wonderful colored pencil is while you're while they are drawing um you know you don't have to start giving them this big lecture uh and they're not doing anything but sitting there and staring at you so that's something to keep in mind and that you can even talk about yourself after you get them started with the line drawing or started with the shading or starting, you know, doing some layering or yeah, something Yeah, I agree. Like that. Get them started on a few tips, even if it's something that's totally pencil related, if you can kind of work your that into mm-hmm. your right. order of things that they're working on something, I think that they're, it's more enjoyable for everyone than just sitting there listening yeah. to somebody talk. All right. Well. I think we could probably go on and on and talk about a lot of other things. And maybe you have some things you'd like to contribute to this discussion, and we'd love to hear that. You can email us, podcast at sharpenedartist.com. You can also interact with us on the Facebook group, the Colored Pencil Podcast group on Facebook. And if you haven't done this in a while, you can go over to iTunes if you appreciate the show, and you can leave us a rating. And if you have a few more minutes, you can leave us a review, and we would appreciate that. And And, oh, you know what, Lisa? I wanted to say that the entire month of March, we are doing Q&A shows. So it's not too late if you want to submit a question for the show. Then head on over to sharpenedartist.com slash Q&A, or you can email us. Let us know what those questions are, and we'll address them the entire month of March. Every show will be a Q&A. So we will talk to you guys again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com. Skip the hummus. Can't draw the straight line. Having happening on the ongoing classes. Happen happening. Wow, grammar. I'm awesome at it. Do you have them stand up and touch their nose?